the feeling it got was was one of uh, being, yeah, violated. Tonight, on the KRBD Evening Report, artist Terry Piles has begun the painstaking process of repairing his vandalized mosaic on the downtown docks. Also, Ketchikan Humane Society volunteers spent eight hours rescuing kittens in a culvert. All that and more coming up. First, let's take a look at the weather. Rain tonight with lows in the mid-50s and southeast winds to 15 miles per hour. On Thursday, numerous rain showers with highs in the mid-60s and light winds. Mostly cloudy Thursday night with light winds and lows in the mid-50s. And Friday, highs around 60 and mostly cloudy with light winds. You're listening to the KRBD Evening Report. I'm Rebecca Tauber. This past February, vandals severely damaged a piece of public art in Ketchikan one of four mosaic piling caps that graced Ketchikan's downtown docks. With encouragement and support from the community, artist Terry Piles is working to restore the piece. KRBD's Maria Dudzek has this update on how repairs are going and what the community has done to help. Terry Piles was inspired to create the piling caps after a 2005 trip to Barcelona, Spain, where he admired the mosaic constructions of Antonio Gaudi. Houses that are all mosaic, um, hotels that are all mosaic, you know, just over-the-top stuff. And uh, it kind of inspired me to do some mosaic, and it hit on me that uh, piling caps might be a cool thing to do in mosaic. With his own money and time and a few small donations, he created four piling caps featuring local sea life, an octopus, whelk shell, auger snail, and goose barnacles. The works have been enjoyed by locals and visitors for over 13 years, and images appear in brochures touting Ketchikan as a tourist destination. On February 9th, someone managed to reach over a railing and dislodge the Goose Barnacles sculpture. The piece fell onto a floating dock more than 20 feet below. The next morning, Piles received a call from Ketchikan's harbormaster telling him what happened. He said when he went down to look at the damage, he was devastated. I felt um, very much attacked, you know. Um, it's very difficult to describe, but uh, I think the, the feeling it got was, was one of uh, being, yeah, violated. Three of the five barnacle heads snapped off, and tiles were scattered along the dock. Piles heard secondhand that someone was seen downtown the night before, quote, causing mischief. There are no surveillance cameras in that area, and no suspect was identified. Photos of the damaged sculpture were posted to Facebook shortly after the incident, and more than 500 people commented, many encouraging piles to restore the piece and offering financial assistance. A local business held a fundraiser, and Piles says even out-of-towners contributed money for materials and labor. He says he appreciates all the support, but restoring the piece is a very painful process. Actually, kind of like torture to me. I, I don't get much enjoyment out of um, fixing something that I already created and spent hundreds of hours creating. Now I'm spending hundreds of hours repairing. The base of the sculpture is made of hollow epoxy resin with fiberglass cloth. A special glue is used to adhere small, multicolored tiles. Work is time-consuming, with each tile having to be cut and placed by hand. There's no quick way of doing it because the surfaces are all curved, so you can't just lay a big sheet up there and expect it to, to work out. 
Pyle says it took about 500 hours to create the original piece and estimates it will take at least 200 hours to repair. He is also working to repair the auger snail cap, which was accidentally damaged when a vehicle from a nearby business backed into it. Public art can be found throughout Ketchikan. Kathleen Light is executive director of the Ketchikan Area Arts and Humanities Council. She says Pyle's pieces, especially the goose barnacles, are unique and special. It is, it was such an unusual piece, and it's part of our environment. He, he just beautifully recreated uh, the under, underwater scene of our environment and let us see that above water. She says public art is a reflection of where you live. And that's something that public art does. It uh, shows us our environment, it shows us our community, and, and it uh, is often um, a way to show pride in our, in our community. At the request of Ketchikan's city mayor, Bob Siebertson, Piles prepared a proposal to restore the damaged pieces and sell all four piling caps to the city. At its June 18th meeting, the city council approved a $25,000 budget transfer for the project, with money coming from reserve funds from the head tax paid by cruise ship passengers. Once they're the property of the city, staff recommends the pilings be relocated from the promenade to daily float at berth one for security. Prior to cancellations due to the global pandemic, piles planned to complete the work by late summer so they could be installed and enjoyed by cruise visitors. He now estimates repairs will be completed by the end of September, if not sooner. In Ketchikan, I'm Maria Dudzak. Photos of the pieces Piles is working to restore are posted with this story on our website, krbd.org. Ketchikan Humane Society volunteers spent hours in the cold and rain in an attempt to save several kittens abandoned near a local trail. The dramatic July 6 rescue saved seven young felines. It was a dull, gray afternoon when a woman called the Ketchikan Humane Society, concerned about kittens coming in and out of a culvert. When volunteers arrived around 4.30 p.m., they found what seemed to be five kittens in the pipe, with a cup of soup nearby. Humane Society secretary-treasurer and volunteer Cindy Hoggard was on the scene. Out popped another black kitten, and then uh, threw that one in my shirt, and it settled right in and went sound asleep. And then about 15 minutes later, another black kitten showed up. Throughout the afternoon, Four black kittens left the culvert for the safety of the volunteers, but the remaining white kitten refused to budge. They were nesting about 25 feet down the pipe, and the pipe goes across the highway and it is open at the other end. So, you know, we were concerned if they could get that far, but it went up vertically, so we didn't think they could climb up that far, but certainly something could climb in the other end and come in and eat them overnight. So she called two more volunteers to come help. The relief team showed up as a volunteer took the four kittens to the shelter. The new volunteers downloaded cat sounds on their phones. In the trees between the road and the highway, they played the sounds past midnight to try and lure her out. And they're waiting for the white kitty to come, and out pops a black kitten. We're like, what? We had no idea there was another black kitten in there. And they waited and waited, and about an hour later, another black kitten pops out. We're like, what? From the darkness of the pipe, Hoggard said the volunteers could only see the white kitten and hear mewing. They ultimately rescued seven kittens in all. 
Hoggard said if the white kitten had emerged earlier, they might not have the last two. Those, the two ladies are out in the middle of the night. It's passing midnight, and they're like, we just were cold. They were shivering, and then they heard her. They heard her moving in the culvert, and sure enough, she popped out just enough. They grabbed her at 1230 a.m. The whole thing took eight hours, much of that on a cold, dark night. And there was a street lamp on the highway that kind of lit the woods up a little, but there sure are a lot of things that crawl around in the night that they were getting the heebie-jeebies quite a bit. While they're not sure, Hoggard thinks someone left the kittens by the culvert because the kittens were used to people. She said calls about found kittens aren't rare and that the Humane Society has already received lots of applications for adoption. They've named the black kittens Bjorn, Dove, Orso, Cubby, Puma, and Bera. A volunteer took the white kitten home and named her Piper Cub. The city of Ketchikan may review its code of conduct and ethics for its elected officials. City Council member Judy Zingi brought the issue forward at the July 2nd meeting. Because there really is nothing that addresses how we conduct ourselves with our city staff, and they deserve our respect. The proposal follows a couple contentious public meetings in June and July. City Council member Emily Chapel, a recent appointee to the council, expressed frustration after Ketchikan's city manager denied requests for information from Ketchikan's police department. He explained earlier this month that he didn't want to commit city staff's time to fulfilling the requests without formal direction from the council. In an interview Wednesday, Zingy says the council hasn't reviewed their code of conduct and ethics policy in the seven years she's been on the council. One of the things that, um, you know, councilman... Chapel brought up was reviewing the police department's procedures. That's not our job, but as I thought about that, I thought, you know, there's a good point there. We haven't even looked at ours, so we should be looking at what we do before we go around looking at other departments, I think. City management and the city clerk suggest a few steps to start. Annual training for elected officials on Robert's Rules of Order creating an ethics and conduct handbook for the city's elected officials, and social media training alongside other city employees. For me, I, would, I think it would be helpful if we had a manual, if we shored up some of these policies and procedures. And during that time, my thought is then it would give the public an understanding of what our responsibilities are. In other business, an ordinance that would prohibit discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation gender identity, and gender expression within city limits is up for a final vote Thursday. The measure follows a well-publicized incident earlier this summer in which a Ketchikan flower shop reportedly refused to take an order for a same-sex wedding. Some religious advocates have asked the council to re-examine a portion of the ordinance that could prohibit most businesses from denying service to LGBTQ customers. The measure passed 6-1 at the council's last meeting. The Ketchikan City Council meets at 7 p.m. Thursday in the Ted Ferry Civic Center. The meeting is broadcast on local cable channels and live-streamed at the city's website. State regulators have fined a Gold Belt Native Corporation board member over a social media post that implied shareholders would be paid if they'd vote a certain way. The Juno-based Urban Native Corporation has asked shareholders last year to vote in favor of establishing a new trust it said would take advantage of a change in the federal tax law. It passed overwhelmingly.
In the weeks leading up to the vote, board member Richard Beasley posted a picture of a check for $100 made out to his brother on Facebook. The post said his brother had voted in favor of the resolution and, quote, he got his 100 bucks. Everyone that participated in the election received the same incentive designed to boost participation for the Native Corporation to reach quorum at its annual meeting. In an enforcement order dated June 30th, the state's Division of Banking and Securities says, shareholders were not required to vote in favor of the proposed settlement trust to be eligible to receive $100 from Goldbelt. It ordered him to pay a $1,000 fine. Goldbelt shareholder Ray Austin says he'd filed a formal complaint over Beasley's Facebook post because it was misleading. I, I didn't like that statement when I saw it because I didn't think it was truthful. You didn't have to vote yes to get your $100. Austin is a longtime critic of the Native Corporation's management and recently was on the receiving side of sanctions over an unrelated dispute with Beasley. The state regulator fined Austin earlier in June over a Facebook post last year that accused Beasley of failing to disclose his paid contract work for Gold Belt. He says he's requesting a hearing to defend himself. State financial regulators are empowered to broadly police speech related to board elections of Native corporations created by the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act. Critics have accused the state regulator of overreach that violates free speech and chills dissent among shareholders in public forums, in newspapers, and online. A legal challenge brought by the ACLU of Alaska earlier this year is pending with the Alaska Supreme Court. Messages left with Beasley through social media and Goldbelt's management weren't returned. That's it for this edition of the KRBD Evening Report. You can get this show as a podcast on the Apple Podcast app, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get it on your smart speaker. Just ask it to play the KRBD Evening Report. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Rebecca Tauber.